0: At the end of this episode, I will announce the winner of the Call of Duty Vanguard Giveaway. Stick around until the end for more information. In 1986, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that the freedom of religion afforded by the First Amendment of the Constitution does not apply to the U.S. military. Let me explain. In 1973, clinical psychologist and Orthodox Jewish rabbi Simcha Goldman enlisted as an officer in the U.S. Air Force. As a tenet of his religion, Goldman was required to wear a yarmulke on his head at all times. This didn't really matter usually, as Goldman would simply wear his service cap over his yarmulke when stationed outdoors. However, in 1981, after testifying at a court-martial of another soldier, Goldman's testimony was called into question due to his violation of the Air Force's ban on wearing headwear while indoors. Goldman's commanding officer ordered him to stop wearing the yarmulke on duty, and when Goldman refused, he was threatened with a court-martial. In response, Goldman sued U.S. Secretary of Defense Casper Weinberger, who ironically was also Jewish, on First Amendment grounds in the hopes of changing the Air Force's policy on religious attire. In a 5-4 decision, however, the Supreme Court's ruling in Goldman v. Weinberger upheld the Air Force's ban on all headwear, including headwear required by one's religion. Understandably, many religious groups in the U.S. were not happy with this decision, and they campaigned heavily against it. Luckily for them, Goldman v. Weinberger didn't explicitly ban headwear in the military. Rather, it just said that the military could ban headwear, just as they could choose to allow it. In 1988, the annual National Defense Authorization Act included a provision that exempted religious attire from the military's dress restrictions, essentially retroactively nullifying Goldman v. Weinberger. The exemption for religious headwear was well received by most religious groups, especially considering that the first exemption of this nature was already given 70 years earlier. With a population of almost four and a half million, Indian Americans constitute one of the fastest growing ethnic groups in the United States. Behind Mexico, India is the second most common country of origin of foreign-born Americans, with over 2,600,000 Indian-born immigrants residing in the U.S. Indian Americans are the second largest Asian ethnic group in the U.S. behind Chinese Americans, as well as the largest South Asian ethnic group in the U.S. Unlike most other American diaspora groups I've discussed in separate episodes, most Indian immigrants to the U.S. are motivated to emigrate due to pull factors in the U.S. rather than push factors in their origin country. Most Indian immigrants began emigrating to the US in the 1980s in search of education and employment opportunities. The vast majority of Indian Americans are concentrated in the New York metropolitan area, especially within the state of New Jersey, which, at 3.32% of the state's population, has the largest concentration of Indian Americans in the country. Regarding religion, 51% of Indian Americans are Hindu, 18% are Christian, 10% are Muslim, 5% are Sikh, 2% are Jain, and the remaining 10% are atheist, agnostic, or irreligious. Indian Americans have had considerable success in politics. In 1956, Dalip Singh Sand, a Democrat from California, became the first Indian American in the House of Representatives. Currently, there are four Indian Americans in the House of Representatives, all of whom are Democrats. Ami Bera and Ro Khanna of California, Rajakrishnamurthy of Illinois, and Pramila Jayapal of Washington. Republicans Bobby Jindal and Nikki Haley also served as governors of Louisiana and South Carolina, respectively. In addition, Democrat Kamala Harris of California, who is of mixed Indian and Jamaican ancestry, is the first Indian American to have served in the Senate and as Vice President of the United States. Indian Americans also have the highest median household income of any ethnic group in the U.S. at over 130000 more than double the national average. Unfortunately, Indian Americans have also faced considerable discrimination. The first retaliatory murder after 9-11 was that of Babir Singh Sodhi, a turban-wearing Sikh from Arizona who was mistaken for a Muslim. In 2006, even now-President Joe Biden said, quote, You cannot go into a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. I'm not joking. Racially motivated mass shootings targeting Sikhs took place in 2012 and 2021 in Oak Creek, Wisconsin and Indianapolis, Indiana, with eight people being killed in each attack. If you haven't figured it out already, Sikhs in particular are frequently targeted due to their practice of wearing turbans as religious attire, One of the first Indian immigrants to the United States suffered discrimination for this reason and others, with the U.S. government going so far as revoking his citizenship. I'm going to tell you all about him, right now, on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 51st episode of this podcast, and I really can't thank you all enough for listening. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. Bhagat Singh Thind was born on October 3, 1892, in the village of Taragar Talawah, located within the province of Punjab in British India. After receiving a bachelor's degree from Khalsa College in Amritsar, Thind emigrated to the United States in 1913 to study at the University of California, Berkeley. To pay for his education, Thien worked as a lumberjack in the forests of Oregon and Washington during his summer breaks. In college, Thien became an active member of the Ghadar Party. The Ghadar Party was a political movement, consisting primarily of Indian expats living on the west coast of the U.S. and Canada, which sought to bring an end to British colonial rule over India. In 1917, the U.S. entered World War I on the side of the Allied Powers. President Woodrow Wilson established the Selective Service System, which conscripted all male citizens between the ages of 21 and 30 into the U.S. military. As Thien was not a U.S. citizen, he was exempt from the draft. In spite of this, on July 22, 1918, the 25-year-old Thien voluntarily enlisted in the American Expeditionary Forces to fight in World War I. As a practicing Sikh, Thind wore a turban over his head due to his religious beliefs. He received special permission from the U.S. military to wear his turban in combat, making him the first American soldier to wear religious headwear on duty. After serving valiantly in the Second Battle of the Somme, Thind was promoted to the rank of sergeant on November 8, 1918. Three days later, an armistice agreement was signed, and World War I came to an end. Thien continued to serve in the U.S. military until December 16, 1918, when he was honorably discharged with a character designation of Excellent. Prior to his discharge, Thien had returned to UC Berkeley, and after earning a Ph.D. in metaphysics, he moved to Seattle, Washington, where he applied for U.S. citizenship. On December 9, 1918, Fiend officially became a citizen of the United States, complete with a passport photo of him wearing both his military uniform and his turban. I'd love to say that this was the happy ending of Bhagat Singh Fiend's story, but unfortunately, this was not the case. Just four days after becoming a citizen, on December 13th, 1918, Fiend had his citizenship revoked by the Bureau of Naturalization. This revocation was the result of the Bureau's race-based citizenship exclusions. See, in 1918, to become a U.S. citizen under federal law, you had to be one of the following races, white or black. That's it. Under the Naturalization Act of 1870, which was primarily targeted against Chinese immigrants, citizenship was restricted to, quote, free white persons, aliens of African nativity, and persons of African descent. So if you're Asian or even Native American, you're out of luck. As an applicant of Punjabi Indian descent, Fiend was racially classified as Hindu, despite the fact that his religion was Sikhism, not Hinduism. This made him ineligible for citizenship, as he was not classified as white or black. One year later, in 1919, Dean tried again, this time applying for citizenship from Oregon. After initial pushback due to his past association with the Gadar Party, Thind was ultimately found to be of good character, and he was granted U.S. citizenship for a second time on November 18, 1920. As was the case the last time he applied for citizenship, the federal government again fought against Thin's naturalization. But this time, the Bureau of Naturalization had a very difficult time figuring out a reason to deny his application on racial grounds. This is because, rather than applying for citizenship as Hindu, the antiquated racial term, not the religion, Thind intentionally classified himself as white on the application. When Bhagat Singh Thind applied for citizenship by listing his race as white, He did so with the knowledge of the idea that who the U.S. government considers white at any given time is kind of subjective. For example, in the past, ethnic groups such as Irish, Italian, Slavic, Greek, and Jewish were not conventionally associated with the racial classification of white. Even today, there are ongoing movements to change U.S. Census law in order to classify groups such as Arab Americans and Latino Americans, both of whom are classified as white by the census, as their own distinct racial groups. As for Thiend, in addition to listing his race as white, he listed his ethnicity as Aryan. Today, the term Aryan is generally associated with erroneous Nazi race science, but at the time, Aryan was a blanket term used to designate groups of people who spoke Indo-Iranian languages, such as Thean's native language, Hindi. Following an Oregon District Court's decision to grant citizenship to Theand, the Bureau of Naturalization appealed to the Supreme Court, where the case was taken in 1921, Dean recruited California attorney Sakaram Ganesh Pandit, a fellow Indian immigrant, to represent him in the case. The Supreme Court was tasked with answering the following question, quote, Is a high-caste Hindu of full Indian blood born at Amritsar, Punjab, India, a white person within the meaning of Section 2169 Revised Statutes? When the case was argued, Pandit attempted to demonstrate the connection between so-called Aryans and Europeans by citing the similarities between Indo-Iranian languages and Germanic languages. They also cited scientific studies by German anthropologist Johann Blumenbach, who, coincidentally, would eventually become an inspiration for Nazi race science. Perhaps most bizarrely, Pandit appealed to India's racist and colorist caste system and cited Thien's exclusive romantic attraction to white women, stating that he, quote, regards the aboriginal Indian Mongoloid in the same manner as the American regards the Negro, speaking from a matrimonial standpoint. Although Thien would later claim that this argument was made out of desperation to retain his citizenship some historians have speculated that he did in fact see dark-skinned low-caste Indians as inferior to him. On February 19, 1923, the Supreme Court unanimously ruled in United States versus Theend against Bhagat Singh Theend holding that, for immigration purposes, high-caste Indians are not white. In his majority opinion, Associate Justice George Sutherland stated that the term Aryan was only a linguistic designation, not a racial one. He also said that the Supreme Court's job is to rely on societal definitions rather than scientific decisions, and that Theand was, quote, "...not Caucasian in the common understanding, and therefore not to be included in the statutory category of white persons." Not only did the Supreme Court's affirmation of the racist immigration restrictions invalidate Dean's citizenship, but it also retroactively canceled the naturalization of every Indian immigrant in the United States... The next year, citizenship would be extended to Native Americans, who were, ironically enough, classified as Indian, but no such extension was given to Indians from India. Following the decision, Thien remained in the U.S. as a resident alien, becoming a spiritual writer and philosopher. After Thien moved to upstate New York, Congress passed the Nile Act, which gave World War I veterans U.S. citizenship regardless of their race. In 1935, for the third and final time, Thien became a U.S. citizen. In March of 1940, Thien married Vivian Davies, with whom he would have two children. It was not until the passage of the hart Seller Act in 1965 that the national origin quota system was abolished, ending the exclusion of Indian immigrants from becoming U.S. citizens. Two years later, on September 15, 1967, Bean died at his home in Los Angeles, California from natural causes at the age of 74. In spite of his comments against lower caste Indians during his Supreme Court case, Bhagat Singh Thind is remembered fondly by many Indian Americans and Sikhs as both a pioneer of American citizenship for Indians and the first turban-wearing soldier in the history of the U.S. military. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura, I certainly enjoyed learning about it myself, and now, the moment you have all been waiting for, the winner of the Call of Duty Vanguard giveaway, congratulations to Instagram user at BadlandsChugsEnthusiast for winning the contest. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash Historia Obscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course... I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.